brought back this story uh, in my mind. And uh, several years ago, a group of pastors and I, we went to Atlanta for a conference. And before we left, we decided that, that we were going to do our best to eat local. Uh, all of us were kind of foodies. It's a kind of weird term, foodie. We all eat food. But uh, we're kind of foodies. We love to go and explore different places. One of our pastors was a, was a personal chef in a formal life. And, and so we had made that choice. We were going to eat local as much as possible. We are going to try some local cuisine in Atlanta and just really enjoy the flavors and the experience of being in a different city. Uh, we got in uh, pretty late on a Sunday evening, and, and quite frankly, we were all just starving and a little tired, and, and the only place that was kind of close that was still local and unique was Gladys Knight's Chicken and Waffles. And so we decided that we were going to go to Gladys Knight's Chicken and Waffles, and folks, at this point in my life, I don't know what kind of rock I had been under, but I had never heard of Chicken and Waffles at Combination before. But but it had been around for a long time, but somehow it had just slipped by me. And, and we go to Glass Night's Chicken and Waffles. I'll tell you. <laughs> I was not disappointed. We go to, to this, this place, and it is, it's a little bit touristy, you know. It's Gladys Knight's place, and it's a little bit like that. But we go in, and, and we are immediately greeted with some really charming southern hospitality in the middle of downtown Atlanta. And, and this waitress guides us through this process because it wasn't just chicken and waffles. They had a whole selection of things. But I'm like, if your place is called chicken and waffles, I'm getting the chicken and waffles. That's what I want to get. And they had different kinds of chicken, different spice levels of chicken, different crispiness of chicken. They had different kinds of waffles that you could put underneath your chicken. And so she guided me through this process of ordering the right chicken waffles for me. That it was this balanced meal of this spicy chicken with a good crisp to it, with one of the best Belgian pecan waffles I've ever had. And then you, you drizzle the syrup all over it, and you get that sweet and the savory, the spicy, all kind combined together all at once. And it was this incredible balance of horrible food. <laughs> like, 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 it's not good for you at all. It tastes so good, and it, 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 it sparks the imagination. It lights the taste buds up, but I am confident there was a gallon of butter used in it. Like, I'm, I'm certain there must be because it tastes that good. Folks, I, I know that it's almost lunchtime, and that was rude. <laughs> I get that. You know, some of us are a little off schedule since the whole thing, right? And some of you aren't too sure if you're eating breakfast or if you're eating dinner or what meal it is or even what day it is. So congratulations for making it here today. It's Sunday. You did a good job of remembering that. But I'm telling you, there's something about a well-balanced, delicious succulent meal like that. It, there's a reason why it's called soul food, right? <laughs> it it kind, of, kind of gets into your entire being. It's not just about, about filling your stomach or tasting good on the palate, but there's something about it that, that brings you back to a memory of, of home and goodness and just filled with love. And you're, It's just soulful. It fuels the soul. We're going to be looking in the book of Mark at this parable that's often called the parable of soils or the parable of the sower or the parable of seeds, but in all reality, it is the parable of souls. It is looking at these souls and how God satisfies, balances, 
if we are centered in him, we find this, this incredible place of soul care when we are placed in him. Hey, if you have your text with you, we're going to be in, in the book of Mark, chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. Uh, this same parable is found in the book of Matthew, and it's also found in the book of Luke, but we're going to look at this, the way that Mark tells this story. And as, as we read through it, I want you to have this idea in the back of your mind of the soil is souls. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on a on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The parable of the souls. See, God in his infinite wisdom, when he made us and created us and spoke us into existence, he made us as 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 our physical being, the, our body, our material self, but we know that there's something beyond that. I, I'm not just the body. <laughs> we, we know this. There's something more than just the synapses that is going on in my brain. There's something more than the electrical connections that happen in my body. There's something more than just my physical. And we know this, we're drawn to it because God has placed that knowledge in us and it, it drives us to figure out, God, what is there that's more than this? And God's word reveals to us that we are, we are soul, that we are spirit. In fact, uh, God's word uses those two words very differently, spirit and soul. And it makes it a little confusing because in our, in our American English language, we kind of use those terms interchangeably. We, we can use spirit and soul in a lot of different ways, and, and we can use those as synonyms for one another, but in Scripture, they're a little bit different. They're a little bit more unique than just the, saying the, the same thing in a different way. In the book of 1 Thessalonians 5, it talks about this, this soul-spirit connection. And in Hebrews 4.12, it also talks about how we are soul, spirit, and body. There's, there's texts all throughout Scripture that seem to indicate that we are somehow uniquely different than just, just the spirit self and the material self, that there seems to be this division of soul and spirit as well. With my with my material self, that's the one that's, that's easy to get. We, we can totally get that. We experience the material all the time. We understand our five senses. We understand what it's like to touch something, to taste something, to hear something, to smell something. We understand this. And then we kind of understand spirit to some degree, but trying to figure out that difference between spirit and soul is hard for us. 
I'm not too sure I can make it much clearer, though. <laughs> like, I wish that I had this, this opportunity. It's like, well, here's the, here's, here's the truth, though. The scripture does look at it and says that they are different. And I think that the main difference that we see throughout Scripture is simply this, that our spirit is the thing that connects us in relationship with God, that we either have a dead spirit or, or a live spirit. We're either, we are spiritually dead or we're spiritually alive. And, and the Bible tells us that we are all spiritually dead until such time that we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, and new life starts. And now we are spiritually alive, and we have an opportunity then to be something different. We are spiritual beings. And then this soul part of who we are comes into play of balancing out the things that I think, the things that I feel, and the things that I do centered on my relationship with God. It's, it's centered on him, and if it's centered on anything else, it's, it's totally out of balance. But we're going to center ourselves on his word, on our relationship with him. And in this balance of relationship, the balance of the things that I think about, the things that I feel, and the things that I do, we find a wholeness to our soul. You find a healthy soul. See, Mark, Matthew, and Luke all record the exact same thing that Jesus taught. And Jesus teaches in this parable, this hard soil, or the hard soul, is the first soil that he talks about. He says that there's this, this sower, and, and the sower is God. It's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's him giving out the word, sharing the gospel message, sharing the, who he is. He's spreading the seed. And Jesus says that some soil, some souls are hard. And that seed is going to fall on that hard soul and nothing is going to be produced. There's, there's, there's no way for the, for the seed to penetrate the surface for it to, to take root and to grow. I don't know if you've experienced the hardness of your soul or talked to somebody that seemed to have a hard soul. We have a tendency to have a, a hardening of our soul through the pain and frustrations that we have through life. Our souls get hard when our hearts are broken. Have you ever been dumped? <laughs> Babe, you remember that term? Like, like when you used to date like years and years and years ago? Oh man, she dumped me. I got dumped. Man, did you get dumped? It's a weird terminology. <laughs> dumped. But if you've ever been dumped, you know there's a, it hurts. There's a rending of the heart and it hardens the soul. And maybe it was not just a junior high experience of being heartbroken, but maybe it was somebody who was incredibly close to you, that you trusted, that you loved, that you cared about, and they misused your heart. They took that trust and they broke it and in breaking that trust, they broke your soul. The problem with that broken soul is that it gets calloused over time. That callous gets thicker, and it gets harder. 
the pains that we face through life and the struggles, the difficulties, the loss, the challenges, it, it just keeps wearing away and creating more and more callous and we wind up with this hardening of the soul and it makes it difficult, not impossible, for nothing is impossible with God. It makes it difficult for that seed to get below that, that, that top layer. We have this hardening of the soul that takes place. In the late 80s, early 90s, there was a Christian rock group called DeGarmo and Key. <laughs> Anybody remember them? <laughs> Thank you. Amen, I see that hand. <laughs> DeGarmo and Key, man. They were, they were this fantastic late 80s, early 90s Christian rock group, and they had this, this song called Soul Mender. I, I still, every now and then, that song will come back to mind. I listened to it this week. It's not great. But I, I, I was reminded of it. This idea of that, that Jesus is our soul mender. In the song, he says, they say this, but there is a place where you can go, you can find the healing of your soul. Take it to the soul mender. Leave it with the Lord. It reminds me of 1 Peter 5, 7, where he tells us to cast all of our cares on him, for he cares for us. That we go to the one that can mend the soul. And we say, God, I have been hurt. I have been let down. I've been abused. I've scarred. And will you till up the hardness of my soul? Take it to the soul mender. There's a good chance that your soul has been damaged at some point in your life. Go to the soul mender where you can find healing, where you can find wholeness. Not only is there the hard soul, but there's a shallow soul that Jesus warns us about and tells us about in these passages. He says, not only is there the hard soul of, of the path, the, the hard soil, but he says, there's also this soil that the seed lands on, and it, it sprouts up, but there's no depth to it. Underneath the base layer, there's something rocky. There's something, something in the way. It's a very shallow soul. And so when the seed lands, it grows up quickly, but it withers and it dies because it has no depth. A shallow soul. What does it mean for us to have a shallow soul? To some degree, we look at this, we recognize that there's there's a level of, of Christian discipleship that needs to take place in somebody's life. There's a level of Christian discipleship uh, of, of learning some, some new habits that we need to develop so that our souls deepen. The shallow soul is one that has superficial understanding of who God is. It's a shallow soul of superficial relationships. It's a, it's a shallow soul that's very self-centered in many ways. John Ortberg, uh, author, puts it this way. He says, a person should be deep because life itself is deep. A deep soul has the capacity to understand and empathize deeply 
with other people, not just himself. See, the world conspires against our souls to keep it shallow, to keep our, our relationships superficial, and to keep our understanding of who God is very shallow. See, when we are relying on information for transformation, we're going to be shallow. I know that there's a lot of things that are bad for me. I, I've read the warnings, and I do them. Or I don't heed the warnings. Like, I, I get the information, and I make choices. Information does not always lead to a life of transformation. And if we are relying on information alone, I want to make sure that we're clear. Studying God's Word, great. Getting into the Bible for yourself, do that. <laughs> Do those things. But if you are relying simply on information to transform you, I think that you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated, and you're going to be left with a shallow soul. It's more than just information. We need to remember that forgiveness is not the finish. When we come into relationship with Christ, I think so many people look at it and say, all I need is to get forgiven so I don't go to hell. And don't get me wrong, that's a good thing. Get saved so you don't go to hell because you don't want to do that. But if that's the end of your relationship with Christ is simply I want to be forgiven, then you're going to miss out on the fullness and the richness, the textures of life that he offers us in relationship with him. That we are not just saved from hell. We're not just saved from his wrath. We're not just saved from our sins. But we're saved into the family of God. And we're saved into relationship with him. And we're saved into relationship with one another. And we're saved into this new life. And in this new life, there's joy. In this new life, we find the fullness of life. And a shallow soul misses the depth of what salvation really brings. It misses out on it. A number of people that I've talked to seem to have a shallow soul based on cultural trends. <laughs> These culturally caused concerns that, that have a shallowness of soul. Church there's a reality that, that I don't know if you've caught on to or not, but there are a number of our church leaders in the past couple of years who have left the faith. A number of Christian artists, musicians, people who have written songs that we enjoy singing, who have decided that, that Christianity is no longer for them, and they have left their faith. Almost every time, it seems to be connected to this cultural issue that they're looking at our current culture and they can't figure out how to love people and how to make sense of God's word. They, they seem to see this disconnect. I want you to know something. that I get it. Navigating the world of sexual identity and gender identity and navigating the world of, of how do we love people that are very different than us, of, of our politics and all that. It's hard sometimes 
to figure out how to love people in the midst of that and make sense of God's word and to honor him. But I want you to know that whatever it is that you're struggling with culturally that's keeping you shallow, if you're looking at God's word and saying, oh, God's word does not address this in a way that that satisfies, I want you to know you're digging in the wrong place. You're not digging deep enough. Whatever challenge is holding you back and keeping you shallow, I promise you somebody else has wrestled with it. I promise you there's a book out there that deals with it. In fact, I promise you there's at least five books out there that deal with whatever it is that you're dealing with. And you need to to dig deeper into this and say, God, would you you open up my soul that I can see and that I can experience your fullness and know how to love people and challenge their sin and all this all together at the same time. James comes to mind when I think about this, when James challenges us and he says that anyone who is a hearer of the word only and not a doer, he's like a a man who goes and looks at his reflection and then, then turns away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And when we come to God's word and we we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and we see our own sinfulness and we, we see the truth of who we are and then we put it down and we walk away and it doesn't make an impact deep in who we are. It doesn't change the way that I live. It doesn't change the way that I think. It doesn't change the way that I speak to people. If it doesn't, if it doesn't take that root and make a change, I've got a shallow faith. I've got a shallow soul. I need to I need to place my, myself, to place my soul in care of a God who desperately wants a deep and real relationship with me. The third soul that's talked about here is called the, the cluttered soul. It's the soul that the, the soil was, was kind of good. The, the seed falls on the soil and it, and it gets in and it starts growing, but there's, there's these thorns. There's these these weeds that get in the way and it chokes it out. It's cluttered with all this other stuff. The cluttered soul. The cluttered soul becomes a problem because it, it takes those things that God is putting in us and it, it crushes it. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of achievement, the desire for things. These choke out a crowd. The past six months have been an unusual time. Some of you have been working harder than you've ever worked before. <laughs> Some of you have been home more than you've ever been before. Some, it's, it's such a weird dynamic of talking to, to one group of people who are, are, are killing themselves, trying to, to keep things going, and then others are, I don't know, we might get called in sometime. <laughs> we, we don't know. We, I think we still have a job. Yeah. My guess is that if you are in that second part, if, you're, if you've had some extra time, some spare time on your hands, my bet is this. By now, you have filled it. <laughs> if, if you have, were given this gift of more time, extra time, spare time, I guarantee you've figured out some way to fill it by now. 
because we are prone to it. Man, we love a cluttered life. We love, we love a filled calendar. We're, we just, we're just get drawn to it. It's so easy for us to, to have this clutterness, this clutter that develops in our lives. It's not just a clutter of the things that we do, but it's this, this sense of pride that drives us, that says, I have to achieve. I have to earn. I have to get. I have to buy. I have to make sure. Don't get me wrong. You need to pay your bills. <laughs> pay your bills. You, you need to be sensible with your finances. Do that. But if you find yourself driven in such a way that it creates all this other clutter and chaos in your life that chokes out the spirit and the soul, then maybe it's time to reevaluate. Maybe it's time to ask some hard questions of yourself. And are you really striving because you want to be honoring to God, or are you really striving because you want people to see you as successful? What's the motivation? Pastor, who was a mentor of mine, Dave Gibson, used to always use the phrase, leave margin. Leave margin. Uh, when I think about, about having margin in my life, I, I, I think about a wide margin Bible. Do any of y'all have one of those, a wide margin Bible where you can take notes in the side? I mean, my, my mind just immediately goes to, to this wide margin Bible where you can, you, can, you can jot down your notes really well on the side. It gives you some extra room on the side so that it, when inspiration hits or when you hear something good, you can write that down and you can refer to it later. Leaving margin in our lives allow us the time and resources that we need to actually do the ministry that God calls us to. And you are all, if you are in Christ, are called to a ministry. You are called to the ministry of reconciliation. You are called to, to love your neighbor as yourself. To leave some, some margin in our lives, in our time, in our finances, to be able to minister to other people. Create that margin. Our days are so full sometimes that if, if, if an opportunity came by, we would have to say no. God, I, I can't go and, and talk to that person. I can't stop and help them right now. I, I, I can't. I can't. I'm so busy. Create some margin. Create that space and protect it. It's so easy for that space to get filled over and over and over again. Finally, Jesus talks about this healthy soil, that the seed fell on some soil that was, that was free from the clutter. It, it had a depth to it. And the, and the surface was, was soft enough that the, the seed could get through. He says, in this soil, there is a root that takes place. And there's a growth that happens. It's the soul that finds balance between who God says that I am and the things that I think, say, and do that I, I find balance in my life and I find it centered in my relationship with him. Jesus continues on in Mark 
He says this, that, that the healthy soul is the one that hears the word, accepts the word, and bears fruit. You hear the word, you accept the word, and you bear fruit. It takes root in who you are. And it changes the way you think. And it changes the way you speak. And it changes the things that you do. This is the healthy soul. When, when God's word gets implanted in us, we have this opportunity. We have this, this healthy soul. So the question is, how do we get there? What do we do? Reading your Bible is a great place to start. Prayer is always great. <laughs> Memorizing scripture is never going to do you wrong. But I want to challenge you with something a little different. It's simply this. I want to encourage you to think about this idea of simply doing the next right thing. Simply doing the next thing that you know that God is calling you to do. That we look at all the things, all the opportunities that are available to us, and we say, God, what is the next right thing that you would have me to do? Understanding your word, understanding your desire for me and for this world, what is the next right thing for me to do? Maybe the next right thing for you to do is to, to have more consistent time of Bible study and prayer and devotional life. Maybe that's the next right thing for you. Or maybe you have a conversation that needs to take place. And that next right thing is going to that person and having that hard soul-to-soul -soul conversation that you've been putting off. Maybe that next right thing is, is getting together as a family and baking some cookies and taking them to the neighbor next door and checking on them and making sure they're okay. Maybe that next right thing for you to do is to declare a, a day of, of no Wi-Fi in your home. That you just, you just turn it all off and you, you go outdoors and, and you spend some time together with your children or your grandchildren. And you create some margin in your life to have some, some conversations that may never have taken place otherwise. The next right thing. I want to challenge you to be prayerfully asking God, what is the next right thing that you'd have me to do that's in alignment with your word keeps me centered in who you are? What's the next right thing? We're going to have a time of invitation and our time of invitation during this stage is, is a little different. We want you to, to take time where you are to pray and to consider how God would be working in your life. If you're at home, we want to, to challenge you as well. If, if you have a decision that's, that's made, you can contact us uh, through email or you can, can do it through a link on Facebook and let us know of your decisions today. God wants you to have a healthy, full, rich, fed soul. And he is the one 
that's able to, to create that in us. Let me pray for us. Father God, we come before you now. We thank you for all the ways that you work. Lord, would you, would you mend our souls? Would you till our souls? Would you cultivate our souls in such a way that when we receive your word, Lord God, it doesn't just, just hit us and bounce us off like the hard soul. It doesn't, doesn't spring up and then gets, gets burnt out because there's no depth to it. It doesn't get choked out because we're trying to, to achieve all these other things. Father, that we are, are the good soil for your seed to get implanted. Father, the truth is that at different seasons of my life, I've been the different soils. <laughs> There's been seasons where I've been hard there's been seasons where I've been crowded. There's, there's, been, there's been clutter in my life. Lord, there's, there's been times where I've been each of those soils. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to cultivate and work. Lord, maybe there's some people here today that need to deal with some past hurt, some future fears. They're, they're hardening their soul and keeping them from, from really grabbing hold of this relationship that you have for them. Or Father, maybe there's a shallowness to their soul. Maybe that shallowness is, is a defense mechanism of keeping other people at distance. or It's a defense mechanism of, of, of not getting deep into your word. Maybe we're, we're afraid that if we, we get into your word too much, we're going to find out things about ourselves that we don't like. Father, whatever that next right thing is, would you guide us to it? Would it be honoring to you? Father, if it's not centered on who you are, if it's not centered on your word, whatever, whatever we think is right is the wrong thing. It's got to be centered on you. Whatever the next right thing for us to do, would you give us that passion and desire to pursue after? It's in Christ's name that we pray.